Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. This episode will be centered very much around one person, one man. And I try to make the argument that this guy is the most famous person we have ever had in our story in fan of history do you agree i I think i might agree i think i agree yeah yeah probably maybe gilgamesh but he's not a real person is he no no so yeah probably because because he's involved in nebuchadnezzar's in the bible too so and we know stuff about so yeah i was just thinking maybe like hezekiah or those guys but yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna go because nebuchadnezzar definitely in the bible and he's in the Bible, and he's so famous because of things he will do, not in this episode, but not in later in episode, episodes. No. Right. But Nebuchadnezzar II is now the king of not the world, not the universe, because he doesn't claim that, but he's the king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And it sure looks like the most powerful state in the Near East. Oh, for sure. So let me tell you a bit about Nebuchadnezzar II. Tell me. All right. This uh, name means Nabu, watch over my heir. Okay. So, named by his father, this is my crown prince, Nabu, watch over him. And he will be around for a long time. He will rule the Neo-Babylonian Empire for 43 years. So he must have been pretty young when when he became king. I saw a birth date for him somewhere. This is not an Assyrian king, so they, they might have birth dates. Oh. He is, might have been born in 642. Oh, okay. So he is now 
37. And then he ruled for another 43 years. Wow. Uh, another 43 years, yes. Wow. So he will be, he's also known as Nebuchadnezzar the Great, of course. Yeah. And the only contestant for the title of the New Babylonian Empire's Greatest King is his father. Right. But you can argue that Nabopolassar did not rule over an empire for most of his career. Right. But Nebuchadnezzar comes in at the point where the empire is clearly an empire. Yeah. And these these 43 years is most of the time of the Neo-Babylonian yeah. Empire. So <laughs> the empire is not long for this world after losing Nebuchadnezzar II. That happens too. Maybe that's when you win a king as a king for so long, like Ashurbanipal. It's good. I don't know, you know. Nobody knows who's in charge. Lose it. Maybe a king shouldn't be in charge for more than a generation. We'll see some pretty weak kings after uh, Nebuchadnezzar II, but he is not weak, even though he will be accused of it <laughs> at some points. <laughs> if he's weak, boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> and we knew of him before he became the king. He is attested in uh, Babylonian writings before this as the crown prince. Nabopolassar clearly favored him and m- intended him to be the king. Seems to make sense. We don't really know his origin, as for Nabopolassar, of course. We know his origin is his father, but right. uh, the origins of Nabopolassar is uh, h- hard to figure out. But the term Chaldean dynasty has stuck. Right. So, uh, but this doesn't mean that he is a Chaldean. Right. I mean, and especially because the Bible and Judah, they, they, always, they call everybody from Babylonia Chaldeans. Exactly. But he seems to come from, his family seems to come from Uruk. Yeah, we don't know who his mother is. And that there's a strong connection to Uruk. There are some scholars who have found some important guys in Uruk during the reign of Esarhaddon back in 669. That could be the ancestors of these guys. He probably was a governor, like Nabopolassar, if he was... There's a long story about a guy called Kuduru. In uh, in Uruk, and that this is Nebuchadnezzar's name is in uh. in Babylonian. It's Nabuchodonosor, so Kuduru is very close to Nebuchadnezzar. I see. This could be his grandfather or something. We know that Nebuchadnezzar II had a, a position in Uruk as the high priest of the Anna Temple. And when he's mentioned as the high priest, okay. before he got the military command, they sometimes call him Kuduru, like this guy much earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But given that he wasn't very old at the time, he was a very young high priest. Earlier, people misinterpreted his name and thought it meant Nabu, watch over my boundary. Hmm. So watch the borders. But that is now uh, pretty much debunked. Okay. And it's because of how the the words are constructed in the original language. Yeah. uh, So at some point people thought that maybe it was intentionally vague if it was boundary or air. But it seems that the Babylonians were not that fancy. (laughs) But there's also, also an argument that he should really be pronounced Nebuchadrezzar. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's spelled that way. Yes, but that doesn't sound good. So we, we will call him Nebuchadnezzar the second. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. It's like the ship from the Matrix, too. So it's easy to remember. 
I still can't get over. Oh, sorry. The name, the the choice of the name for his son, is a bit strange, because when Nabopolassar has, when Nabopolassar is born, Nabopolassar is not the powerful king he will become later, but he takes this name, which is identical to a king of Babylon mm-hmm. who ruled. 1125 to 1104 BC, more than five centuries, and he was a great warrior king. Yeah, and this is why it's Nebuchadnezzar II, and he kicked especially the Elamites' ass back in uh, the 12th century BC. It does sound like they must have. It does sound like maybe that wasn't his born name if he wasn't if Nabopolassar wasn't a king when he was born. But it seems that Nabopolassar has made a long effort to link this dynasty to right. the Akkadian Empire. And this is like a stepping stone on the way, this great Babylonian warrior king. Yeah. And back all the way to Sargon. Right. And then name your son that. There's also a much more boring theory that Nabopolassar's father was actually called Nebuchadnezzar, so he just named his son after his father. Oh, could be that too. But that's that's too boring, yeah. so... Well, it worked for him anyway. Usually they do like to take a name like Sargon, like he took a name... You know, we don't think Sargon was legitimate, so he took an old name like that. <laughs> that was so ballsy. Yeah. We have, um, we, we don't have any Babylonian documents telling us the name of Nebuchadnezzar's wife. But there is uh, a lot of other people mentioning the name of Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Hmm. And she is Amytis. Okay. But that doesn't make much sense. Because Amytis was the daughter of Astyages, king of the Medes. And we all know that Syaxarys is the king of the Medes right now. Yeah. So Astyages is Syaxarys' son. And he will not start ruling the Medes for a while. Okay. And then this... Maybe he married her late or something. But we'll, we'll get back to Amytis at the later state. We also have one great building project which Nebuchadnezzar completed in this decade... And it's a pretty huge building project that we have talked quite a bit about. Mm-hmm. So this 600 BC is the official date for... Ah, here we go. Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> constructing the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Here we go, right? Maybe, maybe not, right? But we have argued that the Hanging Gardens were built by Sennacherib. Right. And it's gone so far that now even the Wikipedia page for the Hanging Gardens has Sennacherib building them. Really, they must have listened to our podcast. Because I didn't do it. I didn't add that. No, I, please, I please don't don't consider this good <laughs> history. We are just trying to be fans of history and tell you the story as far as we understand it. Yes, but we're repeating. I mean, somebody might have heard something that we repeated. Someone else that was smart. Also, those Wikipedia. Just about. Go ahead. Sorry. The reason for building the Hanging Gardens of Babylon was that he had this hot median chick, right. Amutis, and she was like, I'm so homesick, you live in a stupid desert. Yeah. <laughs> I want the hills, the waterfalls. So he built them for yeah. her. Very romantic. I guess. It sounds like a sounds like a Herodotus story. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar rules for 40 years, so she might show up at the very end yeah, true. and not be around here. That's true. But we know a very clear problem that Nebuchadnezzar has here. He needs to wrap things up and consolidate his power. There's a lot of there are a lot of pockets of resistance. There is a mighty pharaoh in Egypt who still wants to claim all of the Mediterranean coast. Yeah. And break the power of the new Babylonian Empire. Yeah. 
He's not completely done, and he's got his money and his mercenaries. We do have very little information about the campaigns that follow here. The Babylonian Chronicle preserves brief accounts of 11 years of campaigns okay. at the beginning of his kingship. And that's our main source. But uh, he seems quite a good general still, because in 604 he's supposed to go to Ascalon oh. in the Levant and take it. He takes the city, he takes the king... He brings the king to Babylon, and then he plunders the city and level it. Oh, he leveled it. Yes, Ascalon gone. Who was um now? Who was in charge of it then? Egypt or Judah? Or was it its own place? I think it was its own place, but surely it was a vassal kingdom of someone. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. They didn't fight Necho when he passed by, so yeah, probably the Egyptians. Because if the Egyptians, if the Egyptians summoned and told who was going to be the king of Judah, I'm sure they said who was in charge in Ascalon. And of course, this could be uh, the old Assyrian style of, uh, wow, I had this great triumph. But modern excavations at Ascalon have confirmed that the city was destroyed okay. at this point in time. So this happened. Yeah, it had to be them. Somebody destroyed Ascalon. It was probably Nebuchadnezzar II. Uh, yeah, I would agree. In 603 BC, Nebuchadnezzar goes on a campaign somewhere because the location is not preserved in the Chronicle. Oh. So we know that there is a campaign. It was an extensive campaign. He constructed large siege towers and he besieged a city. Uh, we don't know which city. Huh. I wonder who they're besieging. Like, who's fighting out? Like, is it... There is a historian called Anson Rainey who speculated in 1975 that the city was Gaza. Oh. But uh, other historians disagree. Nadav Nadam thinks that... Okay. It was Kumuth yeah. in southeastern Anatolia. That's pretty far away from Gaza. That could be that could be Assyrians if it was there. Yes. Uh, well, that makes more sense than going all the way to Gaza. But he was in Ascalon the year before, so... Yeah, but I mean, if you did Ascalon... Yeah, right. Uh, so, we good work, Nebuchadnezzar II. You conquered something somewhere. Yeah. Great. <laughs> good job. And in 602 and 601... Nebuchadnezzar is still campaigning in the Levant, so it seems that he has really broken Egyptian power. Yeah. And Necho isn't there to fight him. No, he's licking his wounds. And we don't have much information here. We know that uh, there is a lot of booty coming into Babylonia from the Levant. So somebody got their ass kicked and their uh, stuff stolen. Yeah. Sounds very Assyrian. Yeah. Do you ever play, this is weird, but if you ever play Risk and they play it online sometimes, and in that area, like if you play um, in like just the Middle East area or like the Roman, that like... That area there is, like, real important. <laughs> and it's always fought over, and you need it. It's, like, definitely strategic. But the Levant has been fought over forever. Exactly. There was, uh, like, in the very first book of Cambridge Ancient History, one of the first conflicts they mention is some fight with their 50 people on each side. It's, like, in 1600 BC. Yeah. And it's in the Levant. Absolutely. There's, like, there's like it's, like, 8000 BC. There's, like, a watchtower that they, you know... I, I read a great book that turned out to be pseudoscience mm. and all bullshit, but it was so good. And it talked about the, the final battle between Homo sapiens sapiens and the Neanderthals uh. in the Levant. <laughs> <laughs> so even then, 50,000 years ago, they fought in the Levant. They probably did. <laughs> but uh, real archaeology tells us that uh, they probably coexisted peacefully in the Levant. Yeah. I like epic battles with Neanderthals better. Oh, for sure. Amazing. One, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I just saying with the booty, because there is a lot of booty to be had. I mean, there's olive oil, as we said, and trade, and now there's money and coins and that kind of thing, so. And it's sort of the main route from Europe to Africa. Absolutely. Yep. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There is something weird happening in 602 that we don't really know what this, but suddenly Nabushum Lishir, Nebuchadnezzar's younger brother, is mentioned. And it's unclear what the context is. So it is possible that Nebuchadnezzar's younger brother led a revolt here hmm. in 602. And one circumstantial evidence for that is that he's never mentioned again <laughs> by the Babylonians. He disappeared. He disappears from history. Yeah, he took him to Babylonia. Now we go to Babylonia is where you disappear. But he was from Babylonia or from Uruk. No, no. That's why he's already there and disappeared him. <laughs> but he's gone. Well, that's what happens when you try to usurp the king. He seemed pretty powerful. I mean, from what we're seeing here, it doesn't seem like that would have been an easy play. But all this success, apparently, now makes Nebuchadnezzar realize who is the real enemy here. The only one who can stand against him, even though it didn't work in Kerkemish. It's Egypt. Yeah. He wants to bring all of the Levant under Babylonian rule and fight the Egyptians and bring them... Preferably all the way to Nubia. Oh, oh, he wants to conquer. Take Egypt. Take it. Okay. So now Nebuchadnezzar goes for the crown. He wants the Nile. Oh. He brings the new Babylonian army. Now he must have gone totally crazy. Because now he's trying to do what the Assyrians managed to do. They took Egypt. Yeah. And now he will because he is the spiritual heir of the Assyrian Empire. And he beat up Neko so bad four years earlier. So now he's going to take everything oh i didn't know that i'm learning so nebuchadnezzar invades egypt and there is not much information we know from the babylonian chronicle that uh, both armies the egyptians and the babylonians they suffered yeah huge number (laughs) of losses everybody died and then uh, yeah he's not that interested in egypt anymore so egypt remains free but on the other hand Egypt is not very interested in Levant anymore. So it seems... Right. This is probably the main reason they want to conquer them, just to get them out of their way. Yeah, so it seems that Neko is giving up his ambitions. He he can't save the Assyrians anymore, even though there might be some Assyrian state still left. But he is done. He wants to stay at the Nile and enjoy being a pharaoh. Nebuchadnezzar II is kind of done with this Egypt 
plants, but they will resurface again. Hmm. So you're saying for now they don't care about the weight of the ding in the central plains. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And at this point, there is a guy who controls a small kingdom. And this might be the time that he assumes power in the city of Anshan. It's Cyrus! But it's not that Cyrus. It's Cyrus I, his grandfather. Yeah. And this is, of course, super unclear, but it could be the year 600 BC that Cyrus I becomes the king of Anshan. Yeah. You might say Persia, but that's... uh, It's it's Anshan. Yeah. And you know what causes him problems in Anshan? Elamites. Oh. The Elamites are still around. There's still some of them around. After their total defeat, where we declare them dead, they now exist in... Very small city-states, but they retain a line of kings. But they are just a nuisance for the Persians. So the Persians are concerned with the Medes. And they're vassals of the Medes, right? Yes, the Medes are all-powerful to the north of them. And they they are not too bothered by some people running around saying they're Elamite. Yeah. But they do control mainly the city of Anshan and some area around it. Mm -hmm. But this will, of course, be the breeding place for a gigantic kingdom quite soon now. Oh, yeah, and great stories, too. I got a really good... There's some really good stories, aren't there, in this with these guys? Yes, it's also legendary, and it doesn't get better when Cyrus is the greatest born, because... I know. There's a lot of weird things in his story. They're great, though. (laughs) Remember uh, the Roman kingdom? Yeah. Tarquin... Yeah. ...is the king? the Etruscan king of Rome. And in all the timelines I looked up, absolutely nothing happens in this decade. We do have a port of Rome, Ostia. Yeah. And it was founded sometime, maybe here. We also have one amazing uh, architectural work, which is probably not amazing at all at this time. But it's the oldest surviving piece of architecture in Rome. Well, that's that's important. No buildings survive from this time if you don't believe in the hut of Romulus. But we have something that is built by Tarquin. At least that's what legend says. If Tarquin was a real person. It's the Cloaca Maxima, the great sewer of Rome. The sewer? Yes. Okay. And this is a brilliant piece of architecture because it drains huge parts of Rome. So Rome isn't half swamp anymore now. Okay. Because he got rid of the water... And according to tradition, then, this was Tarquin's work. He got skilled Etruscan workers to create this Cloaca Maxima. And one area of land he freed with the Cloaca Maxima was the Roman Forum. Okay. So now maybe Rome has a forum? No, this is probably really when Rome gets ramping up. Now you drained all the water out of it and people could start more space to move into. There's, of course, nothing in the forum that uh, proves that it is this old. Mm-hmm. But the initial construction of the Cloaca Maxima seems to be open-air channels with bricks. So there, there is a main pipe, so you can, get, you can get the water out, but it isn't a sewer like we think of it later and it will become wow. a sewer. It is still in use today. That's amazing. It exists today and it's still used as a sewer. Right. But in 600 BC it probably didn't have a roof. Well, we know the Carthaginians had sewage and stuff too so, and I mean, they had, you know, plumbing. We do find wooden holes in the sewer which seems to be very, very, very early which means that 
they probably built bridges over the sewer. Oh, right. Okay. But this is a super important work. And one one evidence for that is, of course, that it, it's still there. Rome still needs this, this sewer. Yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. For sure. I think we're going to talk about money and stuff, but it makes me think of like how like now now that money is like newer, you know, it's like really becoming a thing. You could hire people to come in and like build your sewers. You know what I mean? Like people from around the world. There's there's been sewers in other top places, but not everybody knew how to do them. But now you could probably bring in people and, you know, you could pay them and that kind of stuff. Yes. And that's just me musing. And that shows us a bit about how evolved the Etruscan states are at this point. Yeah. The Etruscan civilization. This is This is Tarquin bringing in his native Etruscan friends, to bring civilization to this weird little village that he's now in control of. Right. By the end of the Republic, this sewer is enormous. It's 1,600 meters long, and uh, it really drains everything around it. But here was where it began. That's amazing. I just had a discussion with a friend about, they told me that, like, urine was was not, was sanitary. I'm like, it's absolutely not sanitary. That's why they built sewers. (laughs) They had a lot of uh, bad things to get rid of from. Yeah, exactly. So what else can we say about 600 BC? Of course, it's an even year, so some things are just attributed yeah, to they are. this year. Mm-hmm. I have something. We are starting to get mentions of... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, well, I, you could, I mean, I have something that people put in the year 600 BC, which is definitely, in my opinion, legendary. Tell me. I'm going to say if any of my uh, dear Mormon friends are listening, just maybe don't listen. Because apparently in 600 BC is when the prophets uh, left Jerusalem, the Mormon prophets, and decided to, they moved into the Arabian Peninsula. And they were starting to kind of start to build a ship, which would take them to the New World. And they would start a civilization of, you know, Near Eastern people from Judah, Yahweh worshippers, into the New World. And... I really don't think that happened. But why would they go to Arabia to do that? Wouldn't it be easier to do from the Mediterranean? You would think, but apparently they left 
So they got their plates. I, I don't know about you, Dan, but have you, in all our study, and I never really saw that much that was written on metal plates in, this, in our era here. No, uh, metal was way too precious, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, stone and paper. So apparently there was metal plates, and they took those with them. Um, and God told them to, you know, go into to Arabia first. They were there for, I guess, you know how Moses was there for 30 year, years and 40 years in the desert. So like, they had to spend about seven-ish years in the desert in Arabia and had babies and all that stuff. But but not in the Sinai, in Arabia. Yeah, some are in Arabia. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of wandering around there. And then and then they, and then they then the 590s, they build a ship and sail it uh, all the way to America. Well, then they must have been the first to circumvent Africa as well. Yeah, they must have been. As they didn't build it in the Mediterranean. No, they didn't. Come, they had to go around Africa. Yeah, they didn't come through like, yeah, they didn't go through the Pillars of Hercules. They went, as far as we know, they went around and then they started. And some of the things that is just, I don't know. So yeah, that was the prophet. Uh, it's in the Book of Mormon. It's the prophet Nehi, Nehi and his father Lehi. And they took their people. And, wow. And that's why the, the mound builders do so much stuff here, right, in North America? Yeah, according to them, you know. I mean, now I believe the Mormon church believes that there were, you know, natives here. But honestly, if you read the book, pretty much there was no natives. And they're all um, people from Judah that populated the Americas around 600 BC-ish. Oh, that's, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. And then what also happened was later on they fight each other. And one group, there's two groups, and one group slaughters the other group later. And because of that, God turns their skin dark. Because <laughs> they were white before they went there. Uh, what? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. It's really... Okay, let's, um, let's uh, <laughs> proceed to something else. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. So I'm going to say that did not happen, in my opinion. We are starting to get mention of something called Armenia. Oh. And uh, several vocal people contacted me long ago when I started Fan of History and told me about all the great things the Armenians did and that they, they were Urartu and stuff. But Armenia will soon show up. And it is possible that there is a satrapy in the, in the Median Kingdom called Armenia at this point. Oh, okay. But Armenia will soon enter the stage but it will require the the total fall of Urartu first. I see. And probably maybe a lot of Medes moved in. Yes. Sort of change the makeup of the, the, the ethnic and cultural makeup of the area. Change the name. And we have some more stuff from 600 BC. Okay. Capua, the Italian city founded here. Oh, yeah. Probably by Etruscans. Yeah, probably by Etruscans. But we have Milan founded as well, which sounds unlikely, by Celts. Oh, that makes no sense to me. Where is this place? Uh, like the city of Milan in uh, Italy. Oh, Milan. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, it's northern Italy, so it could be. That sounds, that sounds funny, though. But the Celts come uh, over the Alps uh, with Brennus. Yeah, you're right. Or maybe some of them were still... Okay, let's, let's go on. We also found the well-known city of Pompeii. Oh, busy in Italy. Yes. Very busy, busy in Italy at this time. I also ran across this in several places uh, that the Etruscans captured the settlement of Rome, huh. making it into a prosperous trading center. Yeah. And that's sort of the story we told in the last decade with Tarquin. So, yeah. Uh, there, there is an Etruscan city of Rome now, or a city controlled by an Etruscan. Yeah. Which is part of the Etruscan trade network. We already mentioned uh, Zarathustra. Yeah. But the, the religion. Yes. Zoroastrianism is becoming popular in uh, 
Yes. In what is today Iran now. So it's it's uh, definitely starting here. Right. No lie. And remember, if you follow this religion, you cannot, under any circumstance, lie. Uh, that's one of my favorite old religions, actually. It's like not as crazy as the other ones. It's, I should say crazy with, you know, air quotes. But like, you know, it didn't require sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. I hadn't have a ton of gods. And then you have this hard proof for the Mormon expansion to uh, North America that the, the mound builders start beginning to build the largest mound at the Mississippi at Cahokia. Yes, the largest mound. He's- and this takes 800 years to build. It's a huge mound. Yes, but uh, they are, of course, primitive Stone Age people in North America, which we know very little about because they don't have writing. Yes, I mean, that's... We say primitive Stone Age people. They they did have metal, but they didn't really have mining of metal as much. Cahokia may have been that this Mississippi area was probably like a cultural center where, where you know Neolithic type people and hunter gatherer people. They they like to have like a center, and then where you know like Adobe Tepe and stuff like that, where then the, the peoples could travel to because it, that that Cahokia area does a major center where there's you know trade coming pretty much all over North America, Eastern North America, either Central and Northern. Central and Eastern North America doesn't really go much into South America, but it's very, um, it's a, definitely a cultural center. And it, there's some interesting stuff later, much later, some really weird stuff. And they, but they play ball games here, and they, you know, there's it's the, the, and the mounds, the mounds weren't like people buried in them per se, because they, they're huge. They like built, they flatten them, and then they put like cities and stuff on top of them, you know, games and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm gonna go check it out. It sounds a bit, a bit like the Olmecs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the all the native, um, North Americans played um, these ball games. Um, they're very similar, different kind of ball games. I can't think of the name of them. Even this early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're 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 myths that have the gods playing these ball games and stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna um, I'm just starting to like learn more, and I'm gonna try to reach out to another podcaster. I should say. Um, it's called the Ancient Americas. It's a YouTube channel. I, I definitely recommend it. It's everything pre-Columbian, and um, there's a lot of good stuff in there. This this era is really hard because it's so far back. But um, I think we should. I'm going to try see if I could really get some more information on this. Try to do something special about North America, and I I, I apologize to all North Americans. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no writing. Yeah, that's the problem. There's not there's not writing. And then the other biggest problem is that when the Spanish and English came, they everybody died. And that, that was a bummer. Yeah, big time. We also put this date, 600 BC, as the beginning of the archaic period of sculpture in ancient Greece. Okay. Maybe we should mention in the Greece episode, but here it is. Yeah. And then uh, we also have uh, some weird notes about Athens suffering severe economic problems in 600 BC. But we might hear more from Athens soon. Yeah, definitely soon. But as I said before, there is maybe two cultures uh, or civilizations that, in a modern sense, in America. And the biggest one, of course, is the Olmecs. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mention a little bit about the Olmecs. They are spreading their influence, especially over the Maya. And uh, the calendrical systems okay. that they designed spread. And then, you know, all the 2012 stuff and things, they come comes originally from the Olmecs. Yeah, I remember that, yes. So, and I found a piece of uh, Olmec art. They did not just have the giant heads that we talked about so many times. They also had face masks. So we have handstone carvings in jade of a face in a mask. 
Oh, okay. So this is precious for the Olmecs. Yeah. And of course, it seems to be like a, a marker of kingship or importance. And it, they are very early good at sculpting the human form. But it is here in 600 BC that they reach a new height. These like all these centers, they they think were very like like I was saying before, like ceremonial centers, you know, where that's how they did it in the New World, and then so they weren't like cities as much. And the, oh, absolutely. This really interesting book I read. It's called The Dawn of Everything: A New Hist- A New History of Humanity. It's really for history fans. It's really like almost like required reading, I, whether you agree with it all or not. And it's not real controversial. It's just a lot of new research and a lot of stuff put together. But it does talk about how these so. The Native Americans, they feel a lot of, they just sort of rejected the civilization and rejected farming. They, that wasn't like, they knew how to farm and they, like maize is an amazing crop. Like the fact that it's, the way it's bioengineered is like way better than wheat, right? Like the kernels are huge. That's like a whole other topic. But anyway, that they kind of like rejected, rejected that kind of lifestyle. And that's so not, not necessarily they were primitive because they were intelligent and smart and had, but they just... They just rejected that kind of lifestyle, especially in the North America. Like, they could have been more matriarchal, which meant they had less children, which they didn't have to have a huge population, so they didn't have to have all this farming. So they just sort of lived, like, actually kind of chill. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's definitely a good read. Uh, one last thing I want to mention about uh, the Olmecs, as I said before, is that they are obsessed with jaguars. Yeah. And, and they, somehow we have deduced, that even though we can't read what they wrote, we have deduced that they believed that in the distant past, a race of were-jaguars was made between the union of a jaguar and a woman. Oh. And you can tell in the Olmec art who is secretly a were-jaguar because they have a sharp cleft in the forehead. Oh, nice. That's a great... In the art. So the, the cleft is associated with the natural indented head of a jaguar. All right. So if you have that, then you turn into a jaguar at night or whenever you turn into a jaguar. Uh, I think they could do it uh, by choice, but uh, I'm not sure. Oh. As we can't read the writing, we don't know. Yeah. Now, did the Olmecs take drugs? No, that, those, that's where, those were the shove-in, the other guys. Oh, just a shove-in. Okay. I'm sure they did drugs as well. But that's all for the Olmecs at this point. Okay. And we'll end this episode here and do a final one on this decade. Okay. Where we talk about coins. Oh, yeah, because I think it's important. Yes. All right, let's do that. And uh, a little else. Okay, a few other things. Yes. All right, so when we come back, we're going to about, talk about coins and a few other things. Coins and stuff. And stuff. Well, that's what we'll call that episode when we get to yes. it. <laughs> I don't know if there's much stuff. Maybe there's only coins. Ah, we'll, we'll see how it goes when we get to that point. So please check out our uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. And uh, if you like to contribute to the podcast, that would help us a lot. And it's a mutual agreement. If you don't make any episodes, you don't pay any money. And you get to choose the sum of money you donate. So it's all up to you. I wish Netflix was like that. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> Yeah, and check out our Facebook page. I, I, try, I try to keep in different history news on there, and I love the comments and you know messages from the listeners. So please interact with me. I love it. You can actually also email us oh, yeah. if you want to at uh, simwaypodcast at gmail.com. It's simway with a set, a C. Yeah. Or a Z. So that's the name of my podcast company. So then you reach my assistant who will send us the email. Perfect. Until next time. See you. Till next time. See you later, Dan. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. 
patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.